Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whenever you're listening, and welcome to Tri-State at the Plate. I'm your host, Andy Burdick, joined today by our super producer in between his daddy duties, Jason Ruggiero. Jason, how are you tonight? Good, I'm glad to be here. It is good to hear your silky smooth vocals on the other end. I'm very pleased uh, that we're going to get to talk some baseball tonight. Yeah, just in time to get this season off to a start here. Yeah, a good pre-opening day podcast. I don't even, you know, I'll have to take a look at our megabytes and see what we're doing, but uh, we should be okay because it's a new month. Maybe we'll have a pre-opening day podcast, and maybe we'll see if we can get the uh, big red machine on, and we'll do an opening day podcast, too. Who knows? Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I don't I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, get everybody too pumped up, but aim for the moon, because that way, if you miss, you land in the stars. Wow. I, I, I don't even know. Is that is that how you say that phrase? Is that how that Some, idiom goes? Something like that, yeah. I think you pretty much got it. I mean, yeah. it might not be perfect, but... <laughs> Something like that. Uh, well, let's get to the baseball, because we have so much stuff to talk about. We're going to have to just put the witty banter on hold. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Pirates, obviously, and as they prepare for their opening day on Sunday. We're going to be talking about Cleveland as they're wrapping up things in Goodyear. Uh, we're going to give a Seawolf shout-out at the end of the podcast today, talk a little bit about some minor league baseball. But before we do that, Jason, I want to talk about Major League Baseball's brand spanking new rule. Have you heard about this? Not until you just told me a few moments ago. Yeah, so this is like right hot off the press. Uh, Major League Baseball has a new rule that's going to be in place for this year uh, that is going to exclude the laces of players' gloves as counting as a tag. So before there was a, uh, <clears throat> I, I guess there was a, a, a bit of controversy. Um, and, and the play that they talk about is uh, how Houston Astros second baseman Jose Altuve um, touched a runner who was uh, sliding into second base with his, just the, the laces of his mitt just brush up against them. Um, and that was kind of Major League Baseball's case to, to demonstrate why it shouldn't be a tag. Um, there, now with, with all the umpire reviews and everything that happens with slow motion replays and stuff, um, it's, it's kind of, I guess, putting these plays under more scrutiny. And I, for one, personally think that the laces on your mitt shouldn't count as part of your mitt when you're trying to, to make a tag like that. Because you think about the, the purpose of a tag. So a, t a tag is a purposeful thing, right? Someone's sliding into a base and you slap your mitt down in a, with a, a piece, a giant piece of leather on your hand. The laces are just like an extension of that. And to me, it's kind of like how when you're standing in the batter's box and you have like a baggy jersey on and that, that hit by pitch just kind of like brushes against your jersey. It's not really a hit by pitch, let's be honest. Like the guy who takes one right in the rump, you know, a 95 mile an hour fastball right there. That's a hit by pitch. <laughs> When when the pitch brushes your jersey, yeah, it's it's not the same. So I kind of like that Major League Baseball has this this new rule that's that's going to be in place this year. Jason, your thoughts? What do you think? I think it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Really? I do. You're a pro laces kind of guy, huh? First of all, we're talking about umpires who have enough difficulty 
determining whether the tag was even applied. <laughs> now they have to determine whether it was enough of the glove to justify being a tag. I mean, the the laces are part of the glove. Without the laces, the ball would just go right through the glove. The glove would fall apart. I will I hey, no one is no one is questioning the structural integrity of the laces. The importance of the laces to the mitt is not in question here. What is in question so therefore, to me? So therefore, go ahead. Well, the, what's in question to me is if you have a a two inch lace hanging off the end of your mitt, albeit even though it is holding your mitt together, should the the extra two inches of lace on that mitt count as part of your your mitt that's making the tag? I, I would say no. But what if it's a quarter of an inch of lace? I would say no. No on the laces. I am 100% with Major League Baseball on this one. Oh, my gosh. No laces. I am, you know, I am shocked that you are not a... quarter a... of it. So if I'm a quarter of an inch and a part of my glove that sticks out a quarter of an inch touches you, that's not good enough? That's my glove. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, that, no. That's part of my glove. No, it it will. Hey, if the if if the glove cannot exist without the laces, are not the laces part of the glove? I'm not even I'm not even questioning whether the laces are part of the glove or not. I'm questioning should the laces be part of the tag, and to that I say no. The laces should not be part of the tag. You know, because at what point? I mean, are you going to regulate the length of laces then? Because if I know that laces are going to to count as part of the tag, why don't I just go make my laces you know five inches long? I, I think regulating crap hanging off your glove, A, makes a whole lot more sense, and B, is light years easier to control than whether or not, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's go to the, let's go to the videotape. Was that his glove? Well, and, and here's was the... was that the lace of his glove? But here's the thing, when you go to the videotape, most of the time it's not because you're looking at the play and you're saying to yourself, hmm, I wonder if those laces actually made that tag you're going to the video replay because when you saw it with your naked eye it looked to you like it was close enough that you think you could challenge and possibly win that's why you're going to that replay so i don't think you're going to to suddenly see a bunch of managers challenging things because they're like oh i think the lace nicked him and it's not gonna you know he's gonna be safe but i think what it does is it gives you a definitive thing to look at when you're an umpire who's reviewing your replay now so now instead of having to worry about, you know, the length of the laces or whether the laces brushed up against it, you know, it, it, if the mitt was not on him, it's not an out. I like that. I feel like that's a baseball purist kind of thing. And I'm oh a baseball God, purist kind of guy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, hate it. We are just going to have to be on different ends of the spectrum on this one, Jason. I don't understand how a piece of the glove is not the glove. No, it is the glove. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, if the ball's in your glove, you can touch <clears> him with any part of the glove. That's the way it's been forever. I don't see how you can say, oh, if that part... Of... So now, what if they're going to say now, oh, if the heel of the glove touches him, that doesn't count either. you got to touch him up where the ball is. That's the next oh, step. All right, I see where you're going with this. You're trying to take this down another rabbit hole, huh? Okay. All it's right. Just, it's, this is ridiculous. I uh, I respect that, but uh, respectfully disagree with that, Jason. I think Major League Baseball made the record. And you know, hey, and we all know, I am not, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, a fan of 
the man in air quotes. Uh, but I think the man made the right call in this one. Let me ask you this question. So what if I step in the batter's box okay. and I get hit? I'm wearing glasses and I get hit by the pitch in my glasses. Well, that's not really you. That's something that sticks out from you. You can get really <laughs> big glasses and then you can get hit all the time. So we're not going to say that you get hit by in the glasses. That doesn't count. Boy, you sound like that. Boy, you sound like that defense attorney. Just, I got you on the ropes already. I got you on the ropes already with this one. Yeah, you. If you, well, you, I don't think I'm on the ropes. You get, you get hit in the face. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't get hit in the face. I got hit in the glasses. <laughs> well, yeah, presumably. They just happened to be. They just happened to be on my nose. Presumably, now the glasses. Part of my face. But if my laces are part of my mitt and that don't count, then I guess the glasses on my face might not count either. Presumably now the glasses are part of your face because that 95 mile an hour fastball uh, shoved them through the back end of your skull <laughs> after well, after you got hit by them. I mean, you know, a world class sprinter is bearing down on my knees and a 100 mile an hour throw came zipping down over him and I have to make sure that I don't get him with just the lace i yeah, gotta get the whole yeah. glove on him oh let's that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard no no you know you know in your heart of hearts the coach no. doesn't teach you to to swipe at someone he teaches you get the get the mitt down yeah, yeah but if i get him with the any part of the mitt i get him yeah just so wait a minute if well huh, here you go All what right. if he's what if the only thing of him that touches the base is his shoelace Oh, def- if, what if definitely. his shoelace no, you're out. beats my mitt? Yeah, you're you're out. Yeah, I would say you're out. If your foot's not on the bag, yeah, that would be like if you're uh, if the back of your batting glove weren't velcroed shut, and you slid and just totally missed the bag, and just the velcro flap on your glove was touching the bag. Are you safe or out? Definitely out. No, no, I'm not saying. My foot never touches the base. I'm saying, you know, <clears throat> At the my point... shoe, my shoe's a quarter inch from the base when you tag me, which, by the way, you're never going to be able to tell on the replay. Right. Which, <laughs> that's the other piece of Just a pure, purely thing. hypothetical. Yeah, it's a mental exercise. I gotcha. No, but I'm saying even with the glove thing, like, some of these replays... You can't tell. You never oh, actually right, right. see when yeah. the glove. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, right. all like in frames. Right. But anyways, um, yeah. As a mental exercise, my shoe is you know a quarter of an inch from the base, but my shoelace is touching the base at the same moment that your lace of your glove is touching my leg. Well, am oh. I safe or am I out? Well. Well, at this point, we know if it's just the lace of your glove, uh, then nothing's happened yet until you make contact with the base, and then you'll be safe because uh, your lace is not going to count as part of your mitt. As well it shouldn't, Jason. As Dumbest well it thing shouldn't. I've ever heard. I've seen a lot of dumb things. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Baseball purists everywhere. Love it. Yeah, I don't. I don't even see that it's purist but okay we'll move on this will be yeah this will be a good discussion for ages i'm sure we'll revisit this later on in the year the first time that this comes up 
and then we record after that, I will be talking about it again. Because <laughs> I, I, I guarantee I'm going to get a text message from you, right? The first time that you see this on SportsCenter, <laughs> you're going to send me a text right away. You'll be like, hey, yeah, did, you probably. Know, did you watch that replay? He was totally out. Well, I mean, when Josh Harrison gets tagged out at home <laughs> in the seventh game of the World Series. Oh, uh, yeah. I hope whenever it or, happens. It or happens, no way. It'd be Pirates. It'd be Francisco Cervelli. <laughs> Didn't only got him with his just, uh, just laces on with his the catcher's mitt. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, that's uh, that's so unfair. You you totally change your mind. Then. I would flip flop on like, that so fast. You'd be like, nope, nope, he got him. You wouldn't even know it hit you. I'd be on the other side of that fence so fast. You'd be like, the ball energizes the whole entire glove. That'd be the first thing to come out of my mouth. Did can you believe the laces don't count as part of the glove? <laughs> and I would go to the videotape. <laughs> <laughs> to the tape. Yep. All right, you ready to talk some uh, real pirate stuff? Not even sure. hype. We're we're done with hypotheticals now. Now we're talking about real, real baseball. No we're more. done with the legal hypotheticals. <laughs> no more hypotheticals. Uh, in real baseball news, this. So I have to say, I'm I'm kind of excited. I'm not sure this is real baseball. I'm. <laughs> is this good? <laughs> this, this first thing you have written, it, it doesn't seem real. It is like a dream. Yeah. So Juan Nicasio is now the Pirates fifth starter uh ryan vogelsong has been bumped to the bullpen so right now we're looking at a pittsburgh pirates rotation featuring francisco liriano on opening day um because garrett cole's still stretching out but we're looking at liriano garrett cole jonathan nice um <laughs> jeff Locke, whose velocity this summer by the way is uh touched 94 95 like somewhere around there so velocity's up just just a tick um and now we have juan nicasio at the back end of this rotation now, I don't know if you've seen any Juan Nicasio this spring, if you've had the pleasure of watching Juan Nicasio. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I've heard tale of it like it was a fable <laughs> from long ago. He's, he is now the Paul Bunyan of our rotation, Juan <laughs> Nicasio. Juan Nicasio is throwing 95-mile-an-hour BBs this spring. And I, you know, I've read his line uh, this spring last week. It's something like, 15 innings and 24 strikeouts or and three walks or something like that. I mean, they're like video game numbers this spring. Yeah. And you know the the first thing that everybody jumps to now when something like this happens, which is our Ray Sears witchcraft. <laughs> Uncle Ray has found another scrap heap pitcher, and it looks like he's going to spin this yarn into gold. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic i don't want to say like i'm optimistic optimistic like <laughs> optimistic would be too strong optimistic is a little too optimistic i think cautiously optimistic would be the appropriate amount of optimism uh for this for this news the the thing about it so we know ray searge has this history of working with pitchers and these pitchers you know making some kind of mechanical adjustment or you know developing a, a a pitch that they can use more effectively and it turning them into suddenly these like out of world pitchers um you know some of that obviously has to do directly with Ray Searge and his work with them um you know probably the rest of the coaching staff and I, I as I talked about at length this winter I think Jim Benedict probably had a lot to do with that 
from a philosophical right. level too. Um, the the thing that makes me nervous about Juan Nicasio is his year last year, where he pitched 58 innings primarily in relief. Um, you know, with the Rockies, they the Rockies had him starting. Um, you know, a lot of his games last year with the Dodgers, he only started one game. Um, so he threw 58 and a third innings. He still struck out, you know, 10 batters per nine, but he walked almost five batters per nine last year in, in relief. That's worse than Trevor Bauer. It's, it's, it was like frightening. He walked 32 batters in 58 and a third innings last year. Now, you know, that, that, that was, I guess, a career high for him last year. Um, you know, prior to that in 2014, he'd walked, uh, almost three batters per nine, which is a much more reasonable number. Um, 2.98 batters per nine in 2014 with Colorado. But so the, the control has me a little worried about Juan Nicasio. Um, you know, the, the other thing that you can look at is, you know, you think about turning over a lineup. So Juan Nicasio is going to be a starter now instead of coming out of the bullpen. So maybe you right. have to kind of scale back the fastball a little bit, right? Cause you got to go through the lineup. You got to turn it over a couple times. Right. Um, but the other thing that you have to think about too, when you're turning that lineup over a couple times and everybody knows this, when you're, when you're going through a lineup and you're facing batters, you know, two to three times that third time through the lineup, you're starting to use whatever your third pitches to really attack these hitters and kind of keep them off balance and hopefully show them something new and something fresh that, that forces them to have to kind of not be able to sit back on your fastball. Well, last year, with the Dodgers, Juan Nicasio out of the bullpen threw 74% fastballs, 24% sliders, and 1.8% of his pitches were changeups. <laughs> <laughs> if you're keeping track at home in a 100-pitch game, if you're throwing two pitches, you're really not showing a good third offering. Um, no. You know, the year before, it was, you know, as a starter with the Rockies, you know, 70% fastballs, 24% sliders. And then that other, you know, 4%, 3.5% went to the changeup. So, um, you know, a little more reasonable. But I guess when I look at this, and, and this is where I kind of made the connection, and you can kind of chime in. You can really chime in on this, Jason, because we talked about this at length for a while. Um, when I when I look at Juan Nicasio, it, the first thing that registers in my mind is the Cleveland Indians and Carlos Carrasco. Um you know, Carrasco had that electric stuff and, you know, he has that great fastball with a lot of life and throws it hard, right. you know, 94, 95, you know, has a wipeout slider. Um, mm -hmm. But, and, and, you know, Juan Nicasio has all of that and he has that electric fastball and that, that great slider, but he just, he doesn't have that third pitch. And, you know, with Carlos Carrasco, like, and I think a lot of it has to do with just my philosophy of pitchers and how I feel and, and the safety and production that I want from a player. But, you know, was it two years ago when they were kind of trying to decide what to do with Carlos Carrasco? I was like right. very vehemently on the side of I would keep Carrasco in the bullpen because I know it's somewhere that he can succeed. Because I know when you're coming in for an inning, number one, you can throw harder. And number two, you don't have to worry about that third pitch. And so it would have kind of cut something out from Carrasco that he would have had to have worked on. Right. Um, fortunately, I'm not in charge of the Cleveland Indians. So <laughs> Carlos Carrasco is not a relief pitcher now. Um, but that's just kind of what it made me think of. Right. And I mean, you know, I think his continued success, Nicasio, 
that is, his continued success continued success will probably hinge on how that third offering really does. Or is he going to be like a five-inning fifth starter? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, he's going to come out, and maybe he will strike out, like, six guys in five innings, and then he'll leave in the top of the sixth with, like, two guys on. <laughs> like, kind of a mess on your hands. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, every time, and leave this, like, disaster for the bullpen to come and clean up. Well, and that's why, you know, we talked earlier, you know, in the winter, really, even before spring training had started, you know, right after they signed Juan Nicasio, I thought for sure he was going to be their swingman, the guy who was going to come in and take that Joe Blanton, um, Genmar Gomez, you know, that kind of spot in their bullpen where, you know, maybe you have a starter, you know, maybe Francisco Liriano's off one day and he's given up three runs in the first inning and you get to the second inning and, you know, he's... (laughs) given up two runs and he's got runners on first and second with no outs and you bring in Juan Nicasio to kind of put that fire out and give you that kind of three or four innings, you know, that you can't get from your typical pitcher in your bullpen. And I thought he would be utilized kind of like that. And then as a swing man, you know, maybe pop in if someone's, you know, you know, can't go a day, you need to give someone an extra day of rest or something like that, you know, bring in Juan Nicasio then to make a, a spot start here or there. But I mean, the way it's sounding right now, it's sounding like he's their number five starter and they're looking at him to go from the beginning of the game until whenever. But the other thing, and and to your point that I'm, you know, I kind of think of with Juan Nicasio is baseball is definitely, and I mean, it's, it's readily apparent moving in a direction where you have starters that aren't turning over lineups as many times, you know, you're not looking for these starters to go seven, eight innings anymore because your bullpens are so specialized and relief pitchers can throw so hard and their stuff so nasty now that if you can get to, you know, like you look at the New York Yankees um, prior to Andrew Miller's um, fracture. I was going to say, their bullpen suddenly is pretty thin, but yeah. (laughs) But, you know, like you get to the seventh inning with the lead and then you're going, you know, Dylan Batances, who could arguably be the best pitcher in that bullpen. You're going Batances, Andrew Miller, and then Chapman to close it out, like how many games yeah, they have going crazy. to blow where they had a one run lead after the seventh. Right, right. So And so right. Well and, and and to the other point, if you I don't know that the I mean Cole and Liriano are certainly, you know, <clears throat> high level starters. I don't know I guess what I'm trying to say is like if you're the if you're the Mets, you know what I mean? And you've got like DeGrom, Syndergaard, Harvey, you've got like three or four like top shelf starters. Maybe you're okay with a guy like Juan Nicasio who might not make it through six innings. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's like, you know that one of those guys is probably going to go eight, nine, if not a couple of them, Do you know, what, you know, it's, right. it's like, it's not as bad and maybe they feel that way. Maybe they feel like, you know, they're going to get a lot of innings out of Cole and Liriano. I can't imagine that they have a whole ton of confidence in getting, a, like, long outings out of Jeff Locke. Right. Um, but maybe they feel, you know, that that uh, they might get enough innings out of him where it's not killing the bullpen every fifth day. 
Or maybe they're just going with the old uh, juice, juice the orange theory. <laughs> yeah, just try and get what and you can like, while you can. They're like, well, right now he's really throwing like crazy. So <laughs> we're just going to throw him out there and see how long it sticks. Yeah. Because they're probably thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, what are we going to do? Call up Tyler Glasnow? Right, yeah. Um, it's like, well, we were kind of figuring doing that anyways. Yeah, so. he's, he's coming up one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it'll be interesting to watch. And, I mean, you know, you look at the cases like the A.J. Burnett's, the Francisco Lirianos, the, uh, you know, the shining example, J.A. Happ, who had two amazing months last year and flipped that into $36 million. Um, you know, you look at those cases and you think to yourself, I mean, why couldn't Juan Nicasio be the next guy? Um, so it'll, 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 Pirates fans will probably have their eyes keenly on Juan Nicasio's first couple starts to see how he does. Um, it'll be definitely interesting to see how his fastball plays up, you know, having to throw it over you know, five or six innings and, and whether really he can work on that third offering. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be curious to see how much they have him throwing that change up um, as the season progresses. So definitely something worth keeping an eye on. Um, you, you, you ready for, ready for this? Yeah. Lay it on me. This, this segment of uncle Ray's wizardry is brought to you by <laughs> bucko blonde. Ale. <laughs> Uncle Ray's Bucko Blonde Ale, brewed by North Country Brewing. See, we should be we should be doing that. We need to get them as a sponsor. We need to we, we need to we need to get a hold of someone uh, down in Slippery Rock there and, and see what we can do about that. I mean, they literally don't have to give us anything. Mm. <laughs> some beer some beer would be good, but yeah, maybe or maybe just tweet at us. Yeah, that'd be good. We'll we'll accept tweets as payments. Tweets, beer. <clears throat> Tweets and beer. Fame. Yeah. We want it all. Somewhere in between. <laughs> um, so, continuing on with the, the pitching staff, the, the Pirates pitching staff is kind of taking shape. Um, actually, former Erie Seawolf Kyle Lobstein um, oh, boy. has earned a bullpen spot. So, apparently, they replace one guy with glasses and Vance Worley and just find another one <laughs> with Kyle Lobstein. Um, <clears throat> Corey Lubke has also earned a, a spot in the bullpen as well. Um, We've got a, a Corey Lubke sighting. Oh, my goodness, it, Corey Lubke. We're going to talk about Corey Lubke here at, at length in a minute. It, it's not at the emergency room. <laughs> but so so as of right now, the Pirates bullpen, if you're looking up at the top, you have obviously Melanson um, closing out games, and then you have Watson, who's basically your permanent eighth-inning guy. Um, and then behind Melanson and Watson... You have, I, I think, a great couple pitchers behind there. Neftali Feliz, I've been touting, I think, could be one of the, the best signings the Pirates made this offseason, um, especially if his fastball still has some life in it, uh, which it looks like it has so far early this year. You know, he's been touching 95, 96 with his fastball. Um, behind him is, behind Feliz, we have Archimedes Caminero, who, you know, throws 100 miles an hour. And then Ryan Vogelsong, since he was bumped from the rotation, is in that bullpen spot. Um where Nicasio would have been. So you're looking Melanson and Watson, and then you have Neftali Feliz, Archimedes, and Ryan Vogelsong, and then you have Lubke and Lobstein. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Jared Hughes uh, comes off the DL. I'll, I'll be interested to see how that bullpen 
uh, is constructed. But as of right now, uh, Jared has a left lat strain, and he's going to have to start the year on the disabled list. Um, now, Lubke is the one that I really want to focus on, Jason, because as you alluded to, uh, Lubke is kind of an interesting story. He's been a walking mash unit since, I don't know, like 2012 or so. Um, mm-hmm. He's 31 years old. He hasn't pitched in the majors since 2012. So we're looking at, we're in 2016, in case you're keeping track at home, by the way. <laughs> so he had Tommy John surgery in 2012. Uh, they had some kind of issue with the, the Tommy John and the graft didn't take properly. So he had to go and he had to undergo another procedure to fix that. Um, was the issue with the Tommy or the John? I don't know where <laughs> the issue was. It sounds like the issue was with all of it. <laughs> oh, that's worse. Um, so last year, Luke, had some loose bodies, which are never good things to have oh, floating no. around. Uh, but he had some loose bodies that were in his forearm <laughs> last year. And then he had a staph infection uh, six weeks after the surgery. So, wow. Lubke's had a rough are you sure you? Are you sure you want him around? <laughs> you know, Clint Hurdle praised Lubke for his uh, stick to which, you know, I really have to kind of commend him because, man. Well, there is that. That is a lot of stuff that goes wrong with you. Uh, yeah. As a result of throwing a baseball. Um. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a long list. <laughs> that is a very, very long list of things. Um, so that's basically uh, Corey Lubke's medical history. And so, like I said, <laughs> something's gonna have to happen when Jared Hughes comes off that DL from his left lat strain. Um, so that'll be really the thing that you'll want to pay attention to um, over the coming days. You know, you you can backdate your DL stints. So, uh, you know, Hughes probably won't have to spend the maximum amount of time on the DL depending on when they you know, backdate too. So just something to watch. As long as he doesn't play in a major league spring training game. Yeah. Cause that's what it, I mean, I'm assuming it goes back to the last game that they played in. Is yeah, that the last major league spring training game? Yeah. Yeah. So but they can play in minor league ones. Oh, really? They can play minor league ones. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what they're doing with Chisholm Hall. Oh, okay. Yeah. That would make sense. The more you know. Yep, 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 yep. Um, so last thing I want to talk about before we move on to Cleveland. Um, the Pirates roster construction is kind of coming into shape. Um, as of today, they had 30 players remaining in camp. Um, but three of those players uh, are going to start the year on the DL. So you have Jared Hughes with his lat strain, Jung Ho Gong with his uh, leg, and Elias Diaz, who has some elbow soreness so that leaves one position to be filled and we're taking a look at that that one bench spot really um that they need to fill it's looking right now like there's going to be three candidates um for that bench that last bench spot we're down to uh jason rogers first baseman third baseman looks like he has a little positional flexibility in the infield um pedro florimon um who oh boy we're kind of familiar with and uh, one of my new favorite players, uh, Cole Figueroa, who was on the effectively wild podcast. And his interview was, I have to say, captivating. 
Cole Figueroa is one of the most interesting baseball players I've I've ever heard interview. I mean, it was a fantastic really? discussion. Yeah, if you haven't heard it, go to Effectively Wild. Look for the title of the episode. I think it's Cole Figueroa is your spirit animal. And listen to the discussion. It's an awesome interview. Um, Cole Figueroa is a really interesting uh, fellow. So I'm kind of pulling for him. But so we're down to those three guys for that one spot. Um, it a lot of stuff's going to change too because you know Michael Morse had that sore hamstring. He came up lame one game and he's been playing since then. Um, but he you know he started on Thursday, went two for two, and he was looking okay. So I don't know. It's looking like we're just going to have that one spot where those guys are going to have to be kind of um, all fighting over that one spot. Um, other than that, though, our roster's, you know, pretty much set. So it's just looking for who's going to be taking over that, that one roster spot there. All right. And that, down to it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's about so it. You, out of guys, you guys play Sunday. Yep. We are the first game, the first pitch of the season. 105. I love it. And I know we've talked about that at length this spring, too, but I love the Opening day on Sunday with the three, uh, the three games. So you, you know, like opening day should be a special day, and it is special because now I can sit on my couch all day long and watch baseball. It's great. I love it. There you go. I love it. All right, you ready to talk some tribe? Yeah, yeah. I got my uh, bucko. I got my bucko fix in here, so now I'm ready to. You- you finished before I finished my ice cream. <laughs> I was wondering what all that rattling around was. You were getting some ice cream. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So, Tribe Town. They are actually playing, as we record this, they are beating the Tar Sands out of the Texas Rangers 7 nothing. Woo! Just kind of interesting. And it's interesting also because I think this lineup that's out there tonight is most likely your uh, your your go-to lineup, at least in the beginning of the season, because um, in the beginning of the season, also we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute, Brandon Lee and Chisenhall will start on the disabled list. Okay. So this is the batting order tonight in Texas. Rajay Davis leads off and plays left field. Francisco Lindor hits second, plays shortstop. Kipnis hits third, plays second. Santana hits cleanup at DH. Napoli plays first, hits fifth. Gomes catching, followed by Bird in right field. Aribe at third, and Naquin in center. Oh, Naquin. Yeah. So we'll get. Well, we were going to talk about Trevor Bauer. We'll we'll get. Let's get right to Tyler Naquin. Was was your heart a flutter? This is the hands down the best news of the spring. Tyler Naquin making this roster. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, you have Abraham Almonte to thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I do. And also, really, I mean, I think it was, you know, Naquin really, I mean, he pretty much had the best spring you could have. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing more he could have done. If they hadn't kept him up, it was like, you know, what what more do you want the kid to do? 
But it was a little bit in doubt when it looked like Michael Brantley was going to make the opening day roster. Do you remember those days about a week and a half ago? Yeah, when Michael Brantley was looking like Superman. Yeah. And it was kind of like, wait a minute, how are all these guys going to fit? Um, but then when it became clear that wasn't going to happen, then it kind of was like, oh, well, you know, it kind of opens the door for Naquin. Uh, so it's going to be really, I'm really curious. I want to say to see how much he plays, but I imagine he's going to play an awful lot till either Brantley or Chisenhall comes back and then we'll really see. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. Especially when Rajay Davis isn't playing left field anymore. When Michael Brantley comes back, like, are they going to play Rajay Davis over Tyler Naquin? Right, because you have Rajai Davis, who's, you know, he's he could play center field, but he's not a center right. fielder. <laughs> not anymore, for right. sure. If he ever was. So, so I. So that's gonna. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm with you on that. You're gonna know. And I, I, you know, we've talked about this at length all year, you know, all all spring too. But Cleveland definitely made the right move with Naquin because, at this point, you need to know what you have. Um, you know, if Naquin's Definitely. not going to beat out Rajai Davis, it's important that Cleveland knows that. <laughs> right, especially because what we're going to talk about later where, you know, what's going on with Zimmer and Frazier, it's like, the time is now, you know? Right. This, this is your shot, Tyler Naquin. Yeah. So, he's going to get a shot. And he's going to get a decent shot because Brantley's starting the season on the DL. Chisenhall's starting the season on the DL. You know, he's going to get to play at least till those guys come back. And I think it's and, good, too. Uh, like, you know, he's getting to hit ninth in the order. So, you, you know, he doesn't have that pressure. You know, like Lindor's, that's what I was just going to say. Lindor's hitting second or third this year. I mean, you know, you got yeah. you got a 21, 22-year-old kid there hitting in one of the, you know, the premier slots in your lineup. You know, with Naquin, he can go out there and play good defense and hit 250 and not have to feel that kind of pressure of needing to drive in runs or get on base and steal bases. Right. I mean, like his line tonight right now, he's got, he's one for two with a run, a walk and a strikeout. It's like, Hey, that'd be great. Great night <laughs> from a number you know, nine hitter <laughs> from your number nine hitter. Hey, perfect kid. Keep it up. Um, but anyways, so I'm really excited to, to, to watch Tyler Naquin and see see how he performs and uh, if he can kind of, you know, grab a hold of that spot and, and make sure that it's his, at least for the the short term, until, you know, Zimmer or Frazier were to come up and try and wrestle it away from him. But hopefully he can take it away from Rajay Davis. Yeah. Well, that's, and um, that's what you would hope. You would hope that he has the talent to do that. Um, right. We've waxed poetic for the last couple years about Tyler Naquin. We have a particular affinity for him on this podcast because we've seen Tyler Naquin since Mahoning Valley. You know, we've been right. <laughs> we've seen him since he was like right out of you know right out of college. Um, right. Yeah. And and so you know it does it kind of and especially because you know we're not professional scouts. We don't you know we don't watch these guys every single day. But the times that we've got to see Naquin play. You know, the last time that we saw him at Jerry Up Park, he made a great over-the-shoulder catch where he closed in on that, mm-hmm. you know, that ball in the gap where it looked like he got a bad jump on it, but then he ended up closing in on it and made a great catch. Um, 
know, like we've seen him do those kinds of things. And, and when we see those things, it, it really kind of opens our eyes to what kind of player we think he could be. Um, you know, like a scout who goes and sees him every day might have a, you know, a better perspective of it. But, you know, with, with the experiences that we've had watching him play, um, he, he looks like a guy that belongs, you know, he doesn't look out of place. He doesn't look overmatched. Um, so I'm, I'm really pulling for him. He's, you know, like I said, he's just one of those guys that we've had an opportunity to watch, you know, from low a baseball. And, and I think it would be kind of neat to see him contribute on the Indians roster this year. Yeah, you know, and I think the scouting report right now on Naglin is kind of like, well, he's got the floor of a fourth outfielder who can be a good defender. But he has the possibility to be, like you said, a solid contributor. You know, if if he can get his, his strikeouts under control and he can, you know, work the count and and contribute. And if he can hit ninth, contribute means a lot less. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see what he can really do. Right. Um, as far as things, other things that are going to be interesting, it will be interesting to see how Trevor Bauer reacts to starting the season in the bullpen. Oh, yikes. Did not see that one coming, Jason. Got to be honest. No, I didn't either. I thought, well, they've boxed themselves into a corner in a way. I thought they gave an extension to Tomlin. They're not going to demote Tomlin. I I thought, well, they're just going to demote Anderson. Or if Anderson, and he was, he was pitching so well, they almost couldn't demote him. And so I started to think, well, maybe they'll just pay Josh Tomlin to pitch out of the bullpen because their bullpen's a little rough. Uh, but they decided to, to let, and that might, that might well be what ends up happening. But that's not the way they're, they're going to give Tomlin the benefit of the doubt you know, and uh, give him the fifth spot. And they put Trevor Bauer in the bullpen. And, you know, Antonetti's comment was basically like, well, last year we used 11 starting pitchers. So I think there'll be plenty of meaningful starts to go around between Anderson, Tomlin, and Bauer. Which in his defense is a pretty good argument. I'm sure he's right, you know. Um, I'm sure Trevor Bauer doesn't really like that explanation right now. Um. But I think, you know, what the best the best outcome of this could be is that Trevor Bauer goes to the bullpen and realizes that he's not going to have six innings to sort out his 18 pitches. And so he bears down on, like, three. Right. That would, to, to me, that's the best outcome if he's basically, like, wait a minute, I'm only going to be out there for, I mean, maybe they probably use him as a swing man, you know, but in many cases he's not going to be out there for more than one to three innings. So he's like, I don't need all these pitches. What are my three best pitches? You know what I mean? That would, that would be the ideal thing and bear down on that, bear down on your control. And, you know, if you do those things, you you could have a situation like we were talking about earlier where eventually you pull that guy back out of the bullpen and he's kind of righted the, the ship. Right. Because as you and and Bob were talking about in the last podcast, you can't you can't keep walking, you know, four batters per nine or whatever it was last year right to be a successful starter like that's it's just not gonna happen you can have the filthiest stuff in the world 
but you're going to keep getting yourself in and out of jams and wasting a lot of effort and a lot of energy doing it. Do you know what Trevor Bauer reminds me of? He reminds me of that uh, typical teenager who the parents keep telling the teenager, listen, son, this is what you need to do to be successful. We know this because (laughs) we're older than you. We've gone through these experiences and we're trying to help you avoid the pitfalls of what we've gone through in life. And Trevor Bauer is like that teenager who's like, whatever, dad, shut up. I hate you. I'm going to do it my way. And now Trevor Bauer has finally said, shut up, dad, I hate you enough that they're like, well, look what you've done, son. You've you've gone and got yourself placed into the bullpen. Now you're going to have to learn how to work your way out of it. That's kind of what this situation reminds me of. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. You know, I think Trevor Bauer is is a really interesting case because he certainly carries with him a whole bunch of personality baggage right like there's there's a lot of people who are never gonna like trevor bauer because rightly or wrongly they view him as having a bad attitude right the indians have given him a lot of rope and they've even taken some of the things that he does that they viewed as more mainstream like more long toss and incorporated that into their program for everyone but they certainly haven't, you know, always looked the other way. They've made a few right. warning shots across Trevor Bauer's bow when it was, <laughs> that, when, it was when they felt it was appropriate. And uh, to your point, you know, I think this is the culmination of that. I mean, he ended up in the bullpen at the end of last year, too. Right. And that was a bit of a, of a warning shot, you know. And then I think, like Bob talked about last time, you you come into camp and you're like, well, I was more focused on my velocity than my control. <laughs> and you're like, buddy? <laughs> and Mickey Calloway probably, like, you know, down to fifth of Jack over that comment. Place <laughs> hand like, on forehead. Was like, kid, did, you throw plenty hard enough. Did you pay attention to last year? <laughs> Did you, do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? <laughs> oh my goodness. So anyways, enough Trevor Bauer. Um by um, the way, did you say did you see uh Jose Ramirez now in left field for the Indians? Yeah, well, I'm going to okay, we'll talk about that for a second. So, I got on the Indians website and looked at their depth chart. And as I started to look at it, I was like, wait a minute. Because we ended up without Chisholm, I was like, who's who's our extra outfielder? Who do we end up keeping? (laughs) And then I was like, oh, we kept, right, we kept Cowgill. And then I was like, wait, we only kept Cowgill? And when you look on the depth chart, like under Rajay Davis, it says Jose Ramirez. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And I was like, oh, man. And then under Juan Uribe, Francisco Lindor, and Jason Kipnis, it also says Jose Ramirez. (laughs) (laughs) And at that moment, I said, come on, Francona. Are you going with eight relievers again? Oh, I love it. Tito. Tito wants those matchups. Oh, my. Yeah, (laughs) so 
So I already read the, the normal lineup. They've got Ramirez, Roberto Perez, and Colin Calgill on the bench. Uh, the rotation is Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar, Cody Anderson, and Josh Tomlin, like we said. This bullpen starts out with Cody Allen, Brian Shaw, and Zach McAllister. So that's pretty good. Then it gets to Jeff Manship, Dan Otero, Jabba Chamberlain, Ross Detweiler, and the aforementioned Trevor Bauer. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a rough group. Yeah, not quite as nice once you get past the uh, back end of that bullpen. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting because, like, seeing you read through the Pirates bullpen, we got some, like, doozies in these bullpens. <laughs> like, like, I mean, they, they each have potential. I'm right. not, I mean, I'm not, like, dissing any of these guys, but, like, between the two of us, we got Neftali Feliz, who, again, electric stuff, has a lot of potential, but there's a reason he's been bouncing around. Uh, right. Common era, okay, he's young. But then Vogelsong, Lubke, Lobstein, oh, yeah. and I add in Manship, Otero, Jabba, and Detweiler. <laughs> like, oh, guys, really? <laughs> but, you know, the one thing I will say about the, the Pirates, at least, that I like, um, you know, you throw Vogelsong in there and obviously he's been stretched out as a starter and Kyle Lobstein's been a, a starter for, you know, the majority yeah. of his minor league career. Um, so at least you have guys that are in the vein of that, again, that Joe Blanton, um, right, and Margot right. role where, you know, on a day that Liriano doesn't have his bad stuff or on a day that Jeff Locke's going out there and just getting shelled, you know, you can pull Jeff Locke out after two innings and, let Kyle Lobstein yeah. soak up four or five um, to kind of get you through without having to just murder your bullpen that day. Right. Well, and I mean, you know, and I don't know, about this I don't know how, how, how does that, do you have any guys in Cleveland's bullpen, you know, towards the, the front of that bullpen that are stretched out already that could come in and throw, you know, three, four, five innings. Well, you know, I mean, of course Bauer is stretched out and then, there was talk of getting Z-Max stretched out, but I don't think that ever really occurred because they realized they needed an actual real reliever at the back end. Right. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody of, like, Manship, Otero, Jabba, and Detweiler stretched out. Although I, Detweiler did start for a little bit in his career, didn't he? Yeah, I think Ross Detweiler was a, a starter at one point. He was a, he was a starter, yeah. I think the Indians' plan is more like, well, we're going to start off with these guys, and then you know we've got Austin Adams and Sean Morimando and and uh, Kyle Crockett and JP Fireisen and these guys down in the minors, and you know we'll go to we won't hesitate to go to these young kids if we need to, but we'll give Dan Otero and Jabba Chamberlain one last roll of the dice. Yeah. Right. Um, cause of course they also have, he's hurt, um, right now, but, uh, Derek Holland. Oh, really? I don't think, let me, let me double check. Cause I, Tommy Hunter. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. I was, I get those two confused, <laughs> <laughs> but Tommy Hunter, you know, serviceable. Right. Yeah. I mean, at one point um, they have like, they collected a bunch of arms, you know, it was like Craig Stammon, 
uh, Tommy Hunter, uh, Detweiler, he made the team. So, you know, like I said, Austin Adams, Kyle Crockett, uh, Giovanni Soto, those guys are all hanging around in AAA waiting. And then down in AA, you've got Mori Mondo and J.P. Fireisen, who Fireisen's kind of like a Kyle Crockett. Um, you know, he's like rocketing up through the system. So uh, those are all guys that likely will make an appearance at some point this year. Uh, oh, I did want to talk DL-wise for a minute. So Brantley, you know, he had that really great uh, appearance in a major league game where he like hit a home run and had an assist from the outfield. And then he kind of retired quietly back to, yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to his rehab. You know, he had some soreness in his shoulder after that game, which is to be expected. Um, but they said, okay, that was good. Uh, take, take a little time, you know, work back slowly. Um, I heard Stefania Bell today say that, you know, she's very confident that the shoulder is in good shape. It's not like he hurt his shoulder in that game and then has, you know, kind of like fallen back in his rehab. Right. She says she spoke to Michael Brantley and the only thing he, uh, he hasn't done in like a game situation is dive for a ball. And his comment was that he feels like he can dive for a ball. He just hasn't had to, right. You know, it's not that he's holding back. Um, you know, and Tito's been saying from the beginning, like I want, you know, doing the manager thing and saying, you know, we want Michael back for the long term when he's back. We don't want to set that, you know, just an arbitrary deadline. Like, oh, we want him back opening day and then he gets hurt again. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think Stefania Bell was kind of saying some point, you know, a couple weeks into April, she would expect to see Michael Brantley uh, activated. Lonnie Chisenhall has a really strange injury. <laughs> it is, I mean, literally, it's not what he needs right now. Um, you know, because you, you've got this kind of barren outfield. And he showed last year that he had a little bit of a knack for the outfield. Uh, you don't want to get hurt and let, you know, oh, I don't know, Marlon Bird take your spot, which is what's <laughs> happened. Right. Um, he has a left wrist impingement. I guess he just had a lot of pain in his left forearm. Yeah, I was going to say, I have no idea what impingement means. Yeah, I guess he's just been in really suffering a lot of pain in his left forearm. You know, and and you hear a lot of conflicting reports like, is it affecting his, you know, batting? Is it affecting his, his uh, throwing or his fielding? You know, they're not being very clear. When you go to the Indians' website... Um, for the like uh, date to return, I think for Brantley it says like mid to late April. For Lonnie Chisenhall, it says TBD. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, he he went to some doctor the other day. I can't remember the doctor's name, but nothing really seemed to come of that. You know what I mean? It was like reported like, oh, Lonnie Chisenhall visited this doctor today, and then it was like nobody ever said what happened. So I view that as a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I was under the impression he was playing in minor league games, but that has been, like, kind of sporadic. Okay. So, 
I'm kind of skeptical of the whole thing, honestly. Like, it kind of doesn't sound good, you know? Right. I, I don't know. We can't get, like, a clear diagnosis. We can't be clearly told what's wrong when he's coming back, whether it hurts or not. Like, these are not good signs. <laughs> um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and that's too bad because, you know, it, and it, it was a small sample size, granted, but he played amazing defense once they shifted him to right field last year. I know. I, I don't know what. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is Paul Dole and the Indians owner had an interview with the plane dealer and he had a couple points I'll hit real quick that were interesting. One is all the changes that they've made to the ballpark again this year. Um, they've added like a Great Lakes brewing. Um, it was like a like a uh, mini bar. Wasn't yeah, it? it's like a. Yeah, I think they're calling it Great Lakes Brewing Beer Garden. I mean, it looked really, really neat. The the pictures on Facebook, if you if you don't follow the Indians on Facebook, you should go check it out. But um, they released a whole yeah. bunch of – they had like a an early preview of it for fans, some right. fans to come see. And the pictures look phenomenal. It looks really, really sharp. Yeah, and they added other local Cleveland eateries as well. It was like Cleveland oh, – it was like Ohio City Burrito and – I don't know. They have now like 12 local Cleveland eateries with, you know, booths essentially in the ballpark. And that's cool. Um, They've also done other, you know, upgrades to the ballpark, including the scoreboard. And the scoreboard's a little deceiving because, of course, they had a giant scoreboard before and it's the same. It's a giant scoreboard in the same spot. But what's different about it is now it is a little bigger. It's actually the biggest scoreboard in the majors. And it's all video like that whole thing from what I understand can be, you know, one shot, which if you've been to the ballpark, you know that there was like a section of it that was lineups yeah. and a section that was ads that didn't change. And the video portion was, you know, smaller. Now that can all be like, again, from what I understand, that can all be a video screen um, showing one thing. Not all the time, but it can be. Um, he also was saying that, you know, he uh, hears from a lot of people that he should stop putting money in the ballpark and put the money in players. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of jokes and said, you know, like, well, one, you know, you have to realize like 18 ballparks have opened up since this ballpark opened up. So we have to do some things to keep it current. And two, he was saying, um, the syntax money that was passed in the county, he's like, I can't use that money on players. I have to use it on the facility. So, uh, ain't going to happen, basically. It's two different pots of money. Right. Um, and he was saying, you know, even still, he's like, I spent about $30 million on the ballpark, or, you know, we have. It's not his money. It's syntax money. Um, he's like, that's like, what, two years of a pitcher? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and on that note he also said that you know they talked about the swisher and born signings and he was like you know i knew that those were going to be risky at the end of the deals i didn't think it was going to be such a risk in the beginning of the deals um he's like i'm not going to say we'll never sign players over 30 again he's like but he's like it did kind of drive home to us that that's maybe uh hard reinforcement of what we already knew, which is that we should just focus on keeping our players around, uh, signing them to extensions and not 
uh, going after, you know, free agents on the wrong side of 30 that carry a lot of risk and a lot of financial commitment. Right, right. And he said that he has no plans to sell the team, so if that's what you're dreaming of, Cleveland fans, <laughs> uh, he has no, no plans of that. He's actually the longest tenured owner in Indians history. Um, he's looking for a minority investor, which we've talked about before, but he has no plans in selling. And he also said that in most years, our budget, quote, is not set up to make money. He, huh. he he said that in most years I lose money. He's like, I've made money a few years here and I've put it right back into the team. That's a, uh, a bold proclamation for an owner whose uh, fan base is a little uh, unruly at times, I suppose, when it comes to uh, how the owner runs the team. Um, right. Well, and he also had a little riff about how, you know, when he bought the team, um, you made money by filling the stadium, which we've talked about this before. Yeah. But he was saying when he bought the team, you made money by filling the stadium. And he said, now, I, I don't make money by filling the stadium. I make money by selling cable rights. Right. He's like, and I, I can only get so much out of my cable rights, but, you know, the Dodgers can get 100 times more. Um and he was basically, you know, of course, setting the groundwork for his his argument, I'm sure, in the next CBA. <laughs> um, but he has a point. Um, and he kind of was like saying, you know, as long as the cable market contracts aren't fair and as long as there's not a salary cap, we'll never be able to, you know, field the same payroll as the Dodgers or the Yankees. Yeah. Well, and one of the things too, and we've we've talked about this not, uh, you know, we I don't I don't think we've delved into it incredibly deeply before, but Cleveland last year was next to last in attendance. Um, only, right. you know, they were next to last. Tampa Bay Rays, you know, who are perennially in last place just because of the location and, um, you know, the inconvenience of getting to the stadium on top of just having like a crappy indoor stadium that is really not that enjoyable to go watch baseball at. Um, right. But, you know, like the Indians have had a competitive team for the last three to four seasons. And every year they're down towards the bottom in attendance. Um, right. And so you would think, you know, with having a team out there that's that's competitive, that you would be doing better in attendance than next to last. I mean, they're averaging 17,000 fans uh, a home game like that's. That's rough. Right. That's that's and he, really and, rough. Yeah, and he gave the arguments that we've had discussed on this podcast before, which is, you know, he's, he, he said that they are the smallest market in the country that has a baseball, a basketball, and a football team. Um, you know, and he said, you know, during that time in the 90s and even in the beginning of the time when the Dolans owned the team, you know, the Browns either didn't exist or were, you know, uh, just getting started and the Cavs were pretty bad. Um, and he also said, you know, and Cleveland was a lot, was in a lot different shape economically. Um, you know, so his quote was, I know the numbers, 
(laughs) (laughs) Meaning the attendance numbers. It's probably Um, not the first time he's heard them, huh? Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) And then, like I said, he just went into his riff about how essentially he was saying, you know, in some ways it doesn't even matter. You know, he's saying if I filled the ballpark or, you know, was in the middle of the pack as opposed to the back of the pack in attendance, um, that really wouldn't affect his bottom line as much as, you know, the TV contracts do. Right. That was his argument. That's all I'm saying. Interesting. Yeah, we're, uh, you said that was Cleveland Plain Dealer? Yeah, they have a whole series of different ones. Interviews, it's broken into different pieces. But yeah, you should go check it out. Um, and then... This is the last thing, and it's a transition to the minor league talk that we'll have here in a minute about the Seawolves. But the Indians have started to, uh, if not fully release, leak out some of their minor league rosters. And the Akron Rubber Ducks roster will have both Clint Frazier and Bradley Zimmer. Oh, so that is that so be, phenomenal. Yeah, that would be a good a good team to go see. It also has, um, I think, Yandy Diaz, who is a really interesting third base prospect. Uh, it will be a fun guy to see. Uh, let me check it. Pull it up here real quick. I think Adam Plutko's there. JP Fireisen's there. Uh, it's loading. Okay, yeah, let's see. Grant Sides is there. Rob Kaminsky, who is um, the first-round pick that they got from the Cardinals in exchange for... um, Drawing a blank. Brandon Moss. (laughs) Yeah, he's a really exciting arm, Rob Kaminsky. Yeah, he's there. Yeah, Yandy Diaz, Todd Hankins... um, Bryson Miles, who's kind of interesting. Nelly Rodriguez, who's like Jesus Aguilar 2.0. Um, oh, Jesus. Yeah. And uh, Eric Stamets, who's kind of an interesting middle infielder, will be there too. So, But definitely between Frazier, Zimmer, and uh, Yandy Diaz, that is those are the three guys you're going to want to watch in Akron. Oh, that's going to be such a fun, fun team to watch come through. I'm I'm really, really looking forward to that. So do you want to use that to transition to our Seawolf shout out today? Yeah. Um so really quickly, uh we'll just kind of catch you up on what's going on with the Seawolves. Their season opener is April seventh. Uh they open the season uh against the Trenton Thunder. Uh they're in New Jersey to start out the season. So they'll be uh Thursday, April seventh, uh opening up against Trenton four game series. Uh Thursday through Sunday, and then they go travel to Bowie uh, to play the Bay Sox, and then they are home opener uh, Thursday, April 14th against the Binghamton Mets, and they're home for a four-game series against the Mets before a three-game series at home against Bowie. Um, The first time that they play another one of our Tri-State teams, they'll be playing the Altoona Curve at Altoona um, on Monday, April 25th. Um, The uh, first time that they will be playing the Akron Rubber Ducks will be May the 9th. 
they'll be at Akron. Um, so that'll be the first time that um, the Seals will be taking on the, the Rubber Ducks there. Um, you know, kind of piggybacking off that, um, if you get a chance to see the Altoona squad this year, um, Altoona is kind of like Cleveland in that their double A squad is probably going to be one of the more exciting ones that you'll get to see roll through Erie. Um, one of the cool things I like about Altoona, they had a great opportunity to, uh, seize Joey Cora, who was kind of a hot commodity there for a little bit. Um, had a little bit of a uh, little bit of juice with people talking about, uh, them, uh, people talking about Joey Cora potentially being a major league manager. Um, so it yeah. was kind of nice for, for Pittsburgh to land, uh, him as their double A manager in Altoona. Um, by the way, if you go to Altoona's website, they list the height and weight of their coaches, <laughs> which I love because do you know what Joey Cora's, uh, height and weight are? This is my favorite thing. Joey Cora, five foot eight, <laughs> 150 pounds. I'm looking at, I'm Soaking looking at, a, wet. I'm looking at a, a, uh, Upper Deck Collector's Choice, uh, 95 Upper Deck, Joey Cora, Silver Sign card. Uh, huh. And it's it's kind of cute to see him, 5'8", 155 pounds. Just a little fella. Don't run up to him and give oh, him a yeah. hug. He probably wouldn't appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see Joey Cora kind of leading the Altoona curve because he was one of my favorite players when I was a kid, just scrappy little infielder. Um, but aside from their manager, they do have some really exciting players to watch. Um Stephen Brault kind of made a name for himself this spring as a, a hard-throwing lefty that had some fans excited um, from one of his starts. Um, so he'll be probably one of the more exciting pitchers to watch there. But um, Jacob Stallings, the uh, whose dad was just hired as Pitt's uh, head basketball coach, um, Jacob Stallings will be the catcher, uh, presumably in Altoona. Um, and then their outfield is where things get really exciting because Austin Meadows and Harold Ramirez um, will both be uh, outfielders for the Altoona curve along with everybody's favorite outfielder, Jason Stetson alley. Oh no. Yeah. You knew it was coming. Um, so definitely, uh, Altoona will be fun to watch between Jacob Stallings, uh, Austin Meadows and Harold Ramirez, a lot of talent there. Um, but back to the Seawolves, uh, <clears throat> they don't have a roster released yet. So we were going to do an interview with uh, Seawolves general manager, Greg Coleman, this week, we pushed it back until April the 7th, um, actually, when their home opener is. We're going to record then, um, since you'll have the rosters and a little bit of free time to uh, talk to us. Um, the schedule and promotions are up on the website, so you can go check those out. And again, we'll get into those much more in depth with Greg when we have a chance to uh, talk to him. And then I guess I would end with this, talking about the Seawolves. If you get a chance to get out to the ballpark this year, um, make sure that you do it. You know, Jason and I can both attest to how amazing an experience it is to get to watch uh, players of this caliber playing um, in some of these minor league ballparks. Um, we've mentioned a few times getting to go down to Mahoning Valley, uh, which is a low A affiliate of the Cleveland Indians. And, you know, you're you're sitting right on the field when you get yeah. to watch these players. I mean, it's and you're sitting on the field for, you know, you can get a ticket on the field in Mahoning Valley for eight bucks. I mean, it's. And you're getting to see guys like Tyler Naquin. Um, you know, we went and when we watched uh, Mahoning Valley, Bob and I one time, uh, they were actually playing the Pirates low A affiliate. And Jacob Stallings was the catcher there. And I got to see Jacob Stallings, you know, when he was 19, 20 years old. I mean, he was just a string bean. Um, and it was so cool to get to see him because you kind of got to see how he's developed and, and turned into the, the caliber of player that he is. 
Um, and it's the same with the Seawolves. You know, even better when you get to go see the Seawolves because you're getting to see double A talent, which is talent that's, you know, basically one phone call away from being on a major league roster. Um, right. If you can stick in double A. Right. You've got a good you're shot. You're the real thing. You've got a real good shot. Um, and so it's, uh, to me, there's no better deal uh, as far as watching baseball goes than getting to watch the uh, Erie Seawolves. Um, so if any of you live near a, 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 you know, an affiliated team, definitely take some time and go check them out. Yeah, you can sit right on the field. Like, like Andy said, you can usually get those tickets like right before the game. And then you can sit there and beg Tyler Naquin for a ball and have him look everywhere else <laughs> for someone to give it to you. And eventually walk back towards the outfield and hand it to a kid so he doesn't have to give it to the grown man before him going, Tyler, Tyler. Just pleading because I never got Tyler. one in my childhood. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tyler Naquin. I can tell you what, though. Uh, Monday, April 2nd, or uh, Monday, May 2nd, rather, I will be at Jerry at Park uh, trying to get Joey Cora's autograph on this 95 <laughs> Upper Deck Collector's Choice. <laughs> Joey, that I love you. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it, Jason. This was a good podcast. We went on for a while today. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I miss talking to you. It was fun chatting. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> well, we're kind of back to a semi-regular recording schedule, it's looking like. So uh, kind of be looking for us, hopefully weekly at this point. Uh, we'd like to, again, thank our listeners. You guys have been doing an awesome job with the ratings and reviews. Jason, have you seen how many reviews we're up to lately? Yeah, it's crazy. We are killing it on there. Um, so thanks to everyone who's left us a review. We, we really appreciate it. Those help to kind of drive our popularity up on iTunes and hopefully get us some more listeners. Um, so keep up the rates and reviews. Um, like I said, we'll be recording soon. So keep your ears to the ground for the next podcast. In the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.tsmbaseball.com. You can email us, tristatebb at tsmbaseball.com. You can follow us on the Twitter at tristatebb. And you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash tsmbaseball. So for Jason Ruggiero, this is Andy Burdick, and we look forward to talking to you soon.